1: To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Withhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, and since the world is ending with the coronavirus, we have decided to <laughs> kind of offer in some... <laughs> Katie never knows when I'm going to have like a straightforward entrance into an episode. And sometimes I just sprinkle some things in that she isn't expecting, but
0: I almost did a spit take. I was drinking a little bit of tea. <laughs>
1: But you can't go anywhere without hearing conversations about coronavirus, about people prepping for it. We're seeing all sorts of conversations on social media and with our colleagues and some of the things that we're hearing about how people are going to manage reactions around where coronavirus is and where it's potentially going to be coming over the next couple of months. We're starting to see these reports from various government organizations about, you know, if this gets any worse, we're going to start canceling any sort of public events or at least not having large groups of people with sporting events or these kinds of things. And so we wanted to present some options here for how you go about your practice we've had a couple of people reach out to us directly on social media about where things are ethical and clinical and good business practices as well as taking care of our own health on this and we're using coronavirus as a starting point of this, but these are just general recommendations around how do you handle when a whole bunch of people are sick and when there's a lot of anxiety around illnesses that are happening in the public?
0: The part about this that I think is surprising to me is the, the level of impact that it seems to be having on therapists. Because to me, when people get sick... Kind of physically sick, and there are governmental, you know, kind of regulations and different things that are happening. I feel like we're responding more as human beings rather than therapists. But a lot of the questions that I've been hearing and a lot of the things I've been seeing is kind of looking at what are our responsibilities? How do we navigate through illness in our practice? Because You know, and we've talked about this before. There's been times when most therapists will go to work sick so that they don't lose the income. And that would just be hugely horrible during this time because any illness that you're passing along, especially if you haven't sorted out if you actually have the coronavirus. That's just really, really bad, you know? And so I think this really just puts a spotlight on how do we manage illness in general, but also when there's this larger piece and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of things that are going on, looking at how do we take care of not just ourselves or or our clients, but... The business aspect of it too, because I think about you know canceling or having people not coming in, and I know that people on the East Coast and in places where there's lots of snow and horrible storms like have to plan for this all the time, where there's like nobody can come into the office and stuff like that. So I know that this is not something that is completely unique in us in California with great rev- weather and very few times that people can't get to our offices <laughs> for things. This feels a little bit you know foreign or, or unexpected to us, but to me. There's so many elements of this that are happening that I just feel very surprised by.
1: And I think it's important for us to talk about the scope of what we know and solutions around this. And Katie and I are not public health officials that the general recommendations that are going to come out of this are from people who actually spend their lives studying infectious diseases and (laughs) public health related (laughs) things people like the World Health Organization, Center for Disease Control. That's where our recommendations are coming from. We fully acknowledge we don't have the background to really question the people who have spent their lives studying this stuff, and neither should you. Yes. So this is some of the advice you know that they're putting out there. Follow their advice around things, but recognize where the information that you're getting is coming from. Because it, there's there's a lot of panic that's developing around this, and you know some therapists might consider that a good thing. You know, hey, we've got anxious clients about things, oh, I can just dear. teach them anxiety <laughs> management skills. This is just a starting point, and then they're good for the rest of their lives. Not even. Close. Yeah.
0: No. No. <laughs> And f- we have a lot of resources that... Actually, I got an email from my congressman, Ted Liu. So thank you, Ted Lieu. But there's a lot of resources that we'll put in the show notes at MTSG Podcasts on coronavirus and what the World Health Organization and the Center for Disease Control and stuff are, are looking at. But let's just kind of start briefly with some of these things that people are most concerned about. If you don't know, coronaviruses are a large family of viruses which may cause illness in animals or humans. In humans, several coronaviruses are known to cause respiratory infections ranging from the common cold to more severe diseases such as Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, MERS, and Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, SARS. The most recently discovered coronavirus causes coronavirus COVID-19. COVID-19. The new virus disease was unknown before the outbreak began in Wuhan, China in December 2019. So this is what we know. I think the biggest piece is that it is a virus that is spreading pretty rapidly and it is causing people to get sick. There are people who are dying. There is a concern about that, but but a lot of the things that I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it, for a lot of folks, the, the symptoms are like a flu and you're going to get through it, and it's going to be okay. But the panic is really in that it's spreading really rapidly, and there is a chance, especially for people most at risk, to die from this virus. And so we don't want people to die. So the World Health Organization also talks about how coronavirus spreads. People can catch COVID-19 from others who have the virus. The disease can spread from person to person through small droplets from the nose or mouth, which are spread when a person with COVID-19 coughs or exhales. These droplets land on objects and surfaces around the person. Other people then catch COVID-19 by touching these objects or surfaces, then touch their eyes, nose, or mouth. People can also catch COVID-19 if they breathe in droplets from a person with COVID-19 who coughs out or exhales droplets. This is why it's important to stay more than one meter, three feet away from a person who is sick. The World Health Organization is assessing ongoing research on how it is spreading and will continue to share updated findings. So there's some basic precautions that have been discussed very, very frequently. Regularly and thoroughly clean your hands with an alcohol-based hand rub or wash them with soap and water. Maintain at least one meter or three feet distance between yourself and anyone who is coughing or sneezing. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, or mouth. Make sure you and the people around you follow good respiratory hygiene. That means covering your mouth and nose with your bent elbow or tissue when you cough or sneeze. Stay home if you feel unwell. And this is a really important one for therapists because we oftentimes will go to work when we're not feeling well. Stay informed on the latest developments about COVID 19 and follow advice given by your healthcare provider. And keep up to date on the latest COVID 19 hotspots so that you know what's going on. So that's kind of the official information that is, that's coming out from the World Health Organization, like I said, we will put that in the show notes. But Kurt, what does this all mean for therapists? Because panic. we're just... Panic. It means panic. we should panic.
1: <laughs> Absolutely not. We
0: should not panic. we should not panic. We should not
1: panic. And I inadvertently was at a big box store that supplies a, a lot of Goods that people can stock up on. And because they're not a paying sponsor, unless anybody wants to convince Costco to sponsor us, (laughs) (laughs) then I'm I'm not going to really reinforce that I was there. But seeing people stocking up on mountains of toilet paper and other goods that are, are maybe more relevant in situations, you know, preparing for, like, earthquake kits or, Mm -hmm. you know, large snowstorms. But as far as I know, this virus isn't going to be shutting off water and electricity. There has been (laughs) no places in the world that are reporting that the virus has become sentient against our infrastructure. But... (laughs)
0: But but if people are not going to those places, if everyone's locked into their own places, potentially some of those things could go out. So I do, I do appreciate people are trying to make sure I have what I need so I don't have to leave my home.
1: Right. And really what you should be stocking up on is like shelf-stable food. So that way, if you are really trying to limit what your exposure to other people is, it's that you don't even have to deal with the delivery people who would be delivering food for you. But as far as what we should realistically be doing as mental health care professionals is giving our clients information from public health organizations that talk about those things that Katie just listed and even having a handout demonstrating good hygiene in our own practice and literally for our ourself and in our practice this is wiping down high contact areas in our office Mm -hmm. you know door handles uh if you're a play therapist you should be you know cleaning the toys every so often anyway doing that more frequently being really cognizant of sending sick clients home that Mm -hmm. You are fully allowed to reach out to all of your clients in times like this that don't need to necessarily fan the flames of panic, but are really just reinforcements of, if you're sick, stay home. You may really want to consider even adjusting your cancellation policy in times like this. That is, if you wake up sick, I don't want you in my office. It's okay. Mm -hmm. I will waive the fee for that session. And if you yeah. end up having one or two clients take advantage of that, it's probably a lot better than getting the flu and missing several days or weeks because you're stuck at home.
0: I think the only issue with the, the cancellation policy, and I, I agree, I think we should actually really be very thoughtful about our cancellation policies at times like this, because if we're incentivizing people coming to session sick, I think that's a really bad thing. However, I I like the idea of offering telehealth as an option because I think if our clients are not so sick that they could not benefit from treatment, I think we can say, hey, this is what the possibilities are because I think there are some clients who are just a little bit sick or have a little bit of a cough or something. And it's like, yeah, stay home, but let's do some telehealth if you feel up to it. I think it allows the, the treatment to continue, but it also allows your business to keep running and to get some, some pay for that, month, for that session.
1: Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out of network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end to end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf.
0: They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryser.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions.
1: And this is a concern that was actually brought up to us on our Instagram. And this is from the cycling therapist. So he's somebody who's been following us from kind of the beginning of our podcast. Yeah. So I would go follow him and see all of his cycling exploits on Instagram. But he brought up that we should actually do this episode. And, <laughs> but one of his questions was, and maybe this push of trying to stay healthy, should we be pushing telehealth only? And how does this play with insurance companies that aren't reimbursing for telehealth sessions? Mm. And I think that this is a fantastic question and is one that you at least should try contacting the insurance companies and saying, in order to prevent the spread of a disease that we don't know where it's going, can you make exceptions right now for covering telehealth sessions until the public health organizations give us a little bit more of an all clear? It does not hurt you to reach out to those insurance companies if you are a covered provider to be able to ask for these kind of exceptions. The worst that they can do is say no.
0: Yeah. But uh, If yeah. they
1: are going to be able to provide some exemptions, that, at least there's no harm in asking there.
0: Sure. And I think more and more insurance companies are reimbursing and potentially at the same insurance rate for telehealth. The there's an online Facebook group called the online therapist group, I think. I'll put it in the show notes. But one of the one of our colleagues has put together a lot of resources on how to build and grow an online therapy uh, practice. But she does have, I think, a spreadsheet in there that talks about, you know, kind of the different insurance panels and the different states and kind of crowdsourcing some information on where you're more likely to be able to get some telehealth reimbursement from insurance. And I found in the ones that I bill that, that I'm able to, to insurance, you want to, some of them require some sort of a telehealth certification, or you need to do some sort of a form, but then you can bill for every session. And it's the same amount as you would, if they came in in person and some require like a modifier, or that kind of stuff. So rather than getting deep into that, I'll, you know, I can put some of the 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 link to the Facebook group that has a lot of good information in the show notes. But it is possible, it's very possible to get reimbursed from insurance for telehealth. And it sometimes it's just a couple of steps and then you're good to go.
1: So I want to spin this a little bit outside of the health aspects of this and talk about how this is affecting clients and some of the conversations that we're Mm -hmm. hearing from therapists about clients coming to their practice, even some of the stuff that's coming up with us. And In particular, one of the areas that seems to be really sensitive right now is some of the clients coming from Asian-American, Pacific Islander backgrounds are talking about this xenophobia that's developing, especially if they are showing any symptoms of any illness, you know, having a cough due to allergies or anything that's totally not the flu but still ends up getting some sort of a backlash from the people in their lives. And this is something where we as therapists, at least for this particular outbreak of, of coronavirus right now, need to be sensitive to how this might be affecting cultures other than our own and the clients that we should demonstrate some sort of competency around in real time. There's no, you know, going back to your you know, cultural competency classes and being like, hey, these diseases go to this part of the world, but being cognizant of how this can be perceived and especially with the way that the anxiety mind's And the hive minds of anxiety get driven in the news and on social media that can perpetuate stereotypes around, in this particular case, people coming from that background and that contributing to the way that these clients may be experiencing the world right now.
0: The thing to think about that I think is really important is that these... These folks from AAPI descent are not monolithic. And so there may be different responses. There may be different ways that they're, re- they're reacting or that they're being reacted to. And so I think it's really important to hold space and to identify how can I be here for this person and what their specific experience is. I think another group of folks who I'm thinking about that potentially are also being very, being very impacted by this. Are folks who either themselves have some sort of a, an immune deficiency or, or sensitive immune system, as well as people who are are caregivers or have those folks in their family. And so, to me, that that element of understanding that this could mean that they now can't leave their house, that they have to kind of restrict their movement, be self quarantined because they don't want to interact with the virus, but the potential for virus, and that kind of stuff. That that can be extremely hard on someone's mental health as well as all the additional precautions that they're they're having to take and you know above and beyond what they typically have to do and so i think being really present and available for your clients i think is is just critical because there's going to there's going to be folks who are just having their own reactions there's they're, they're not part of a a specific population of people that are specifically impacted here or they may have these additional much deeper reactions. And I think that's, that's really important to to hold space for and be present for. But as I was thinking about it, because I think there's, there's, th- there are folks that I know who come into my practice, I'm sure you have folks that come into your practice, Kurt, that are, that have some sort of whether it's a family member or themselves who who have potentially you know are more at risk for this being a very serious illness for them, and if they're doing telehealth and they decide to stay home, that's one piece. But if they actually are wanting to come into the office, I think about what are my responsibilities. I want to look at kind of the ethical aspects of it, like what are my responsibilities to keep my office clean, <laughs> you know, and which is I think it's a good idea anyway. But I think about those weeks when I've got like back to back clients and I'm exhausted that that would be a little bit tougher but also what are what is my my ethical responsibility related to being able to manage all the people and the information and stuff that's coming in and out of my office because i think to me if i have a client who's traveling to seattle for example or if i'm traveling to seattle or if if i'm you know noticing that someone is sick and you know potentially sending them home or not like it's it's what are my ethical responsibilities to my clients When something like this comes up, because to me, there's there's a lot of things that I could do to try to protect people and to try to do things. But I also want to make sure that we're thinking about uh, the ethical aspects of it as well.
1: I'm going to throw legal in here as well. Perfect. Perfect. We would look at any sort of our historical basis as far as other communicable diseases. And, you know, there's no duty to warn. There's no violation of confidentiality mandate here because of imminent threats of death against identifiable victim or victims. Yeah. But you've still got to keep a hospitable environment for your clients and yeah. to be able to to keep things clean. You really need to navigate a couple of things and especially if you are Looking at kind of the exposure to Seattle, and we're not picking on Seattle. we love our Seattle listeners we
0: love Seattle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're We're just using that as as where kind of the hot spot of this seems to be at the time of recording, and by the time that this actually gets published and you may be listening, you can fill in any other of the major cities that's likely going to be in the news. But the ethical considerations that you really need to look at is, first of all, is this creating a dual relationship that places an undue influence on your clients. And one way of really looking at that and a consideration to evaluate is, does this add too much anxiety and too much fear to a client that prevents them from being able to access their mental health work? But you balance that with giving them an informed decision about what their exposure is to travelers. And so, if you're looking for a solid answer on this one, (laughs) you have to consider both sides. Got it. Because for some of the clients that may be in that immunocompromised position, they may need more time to really consider and evaluate if you coming back or the exposure from somebody who is traveling from one of these places where the you know numbers are starting to pop up and it's being you know indicated by local governments you know hey we have six cases we have seven cases here being able to take clients in those immunocompromised positions they may need more of that informed decision making process than somebody who's just panicked about everything. Yeah. And so that's a one consideration to really look at here. Another level of this is if you do have other clients who are traveling or family members of your own who are traveling to some of these areas that are impacted by you know, these conditions, again, it comes back to the dual relationship, but it also potentially opens you up to exposing uh, confidential information about your other clients. And especially mm, if those mm. clients end up being identified later on as being somebody who gets diagnosed with this. Yeah. Yeah. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered.
0: Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code modern for two months free. But I think, I mean, I think there's also, there's, there's two clients that we're looking at. There's a client who's traveling and then there's also the the client who isn't and may be impacted if that client comes back to your office. You, I, I agree. We should not tell our other clients like, Hey, I've got a client traveling to Asia do you want to come in or not <laughs> uh-huh. but i think there's there's the other element of the client who's traveling to asia or seattle or to whatever to one of the impacted areas and saying do we what is our responsibility to that client because i think if if you know a lot of companies are requesting self quarantine like can we tell our clients hey stay home let's do telehealth
1: And I think that that's really kind of where the best way that you can go about this is through a preventive step like that and really getting out ahead of this in conversations with your clients now about here's telehealth options Mm -hmm. and our Therapy Reimagined Conference sponsored Simple Practice has a whole bunch of information about telehealth options right now. They're... We'll put a link to that in show notes as well. But being able to let clients know what these other service delivery options are ahead of time makes it more of a standard practice for your business than it is in potentially singling out any one of these clients.
0: But so if um, I, I so if if I if I were to talk to all my clients next week and let them know if something were to come up or if you travel to uh, an impacted area we have telehealth options and if the client's like yeah i don't want to do telehealth i want to come in you know i don't care that i you know my company's self quarantining i don't care blah 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 like what what happens there because telling a client you cannot come in for a session feels like a bad business decision it feels like it could negatively impact the therapeutic relationship but maybe the way to protect yourself and other clients given kind of what the how how things are spread and that kind of stuff so what are your thoughts on that because i think to me i there's probably a lot of clients be like sure yeah telehealth is available if you know if we're not allowed to go anywhere or if i'm feeling sick sure awesome but there are going to be some clients that either don't want to use it or who would feel offended that you're saying like don't come into my office you might be contagious
1: i look at it really from the perspective of kind of how we started this episode is i'm not a public health official. I mm-hmm. I can't mandate other people's symptoms and be able to identify them I don't have that kind of training the ethical considerations the legal considerations that we have about communicable diseases this becomes a really slippery slope into mm-hmm. a number of other things that oh I don't I don't like this particular disease that's coming out even though that might be something that isn't you know, doesn't have the zeitgeist that coronavirus does right now. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's I'm willing to say to clients, if you are demonstrating illness symptoms in my office, I reserve the right to send you home until you are no longer ill. Get a a doctor's note from one of those medical professionals whose job it is to say, Mm -hmm. yes, you are clear. You are able to go to school, to work, whatever it might be. I think to single people out because of where they travel becomes discriminatory in some ways mm-hmm. and i don 't think that it 's a good practice to single people out until that they are symptomatic and i I get that with the way that I understand the way that the who and the c d c are talking about you know this has an incubation period of several weeks before people may be symptomatic. If people are insisting on coming in and they're not symptomatic, I don't think that you have an ethical grounds to discriminate them coming in.
0: Okay. That was kind of my my thought process. And I also feel like unless they're willing to do that on their own, it feels like a weird piece to add to the therapeutic relationship. I mean, certainly business-wise, it's about Like, hey, I, I see you as a potential illness go away like that just doesn't seem like a good business practice but but i think that there's there's the kind of piece of like the the if if they're quarantined by the government that's very different than if their company is saying like hey don't come into the office
1: oh and don't get me started on that a news article a couple days ago about these company initiated self-quarantines you know work from home sort of aspects that those people aren't necessarily staying at home, that they're going to the gym and they're going to the grocery stores anyway. And these are companies that are looking to protect themselves from having outbreaks within their own company, but it's not necessarily doing that public health step. But what I was going to say is that I think we have a responsibility to not contribute to the panic around this. And, you know, I hear from one group of people that, you know, this is – going to flatten the world worse than the 1918 Spanish flu. And on the other hand, I hear people saying, you know, there's only 40 some odd confirmed cases as of the time of this recording in the entire U S and that's out of hundreds of millions of people. And it's just because it's being fanned by news organizations that thrive on people being anxious and needing to consume more news. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that our responsibility as mental health professionals is to not contribute to the anxiety portion of this. Yeah. It's also taking that step of when clients are coming in with false information of directing them to consistent information and again CDC who and not necessarily their Facebook thread of choice on uh, getting the information <laughs> about what this disease is, how, how it can be prevented, who's responsible for it, and any of the other things that lead to anxiety.
0: Yes. Yes. I, I think that the more that we're able to do business as usual with some extra precautions, I think the better we're able to positively contribute to containing it even. I mean, I feel like that there's that people who are panicked aren't necessarily taking better care of themselves and and decreasing the spread. I think it's more just anxiety. And so to me, I mean, what I'm hearing from what you're saying, what we've talked about it's it's take reasonable precautions, try to clean more, kind of do the things that you need to do to keep your office as safe as possible potentially shift your cancellation policy or make it very available to have telehealth so that people who are ill are not coming to your office unnecessarily and that you're sending sick people home and making that clear. And I think probably it makes sense. I'm just thinking about my, my clinical week the next week that I start mentioning those things as things are developing, you know, kind of, you know, we're coming through flu season and there's also the coronavirus. So this is what's possible and i think as far as our responsibility to our clients it's helping them to make informed decisions but not singling out or discriminating against folks who choose to travel not singling out or discriminating against folks who have who are immunocompromised or have other challenges but really trying to support the access element as well as public safety did i miss anything
1: And contact insurance companies if you are not covered by their telehealth plan. See if they'll make exemptions. Just don't contribute to the panic. And the the better that we can lead by example through this, the better that everyone should be involved and keep on keeping on. So with some of these public health things that are coming out as far as canceling large groups of people, one thing that has totally not been canceled yet is the <laughs> Therapy Reimagining 2020 conference.
0: It will not be canceled.
1: <laughs> we will deal with that problem when and if we get there. But It's six it's, months away, folks. We're going to be fine. six months away. Therapy Reimagined 2020, September 25th and 26th here in the Los Angeles area. We are getting all sorts of buzz. People are really getting excited about it. Tickets are going to go on sale any day now. And follow us on our social media and check out our website, mtsgpodcast.com, to find out more information about that. We have Daryl Chow coming all the way from Australia, Harry Aponte coming from Philadelphia. And I'm going to have a special pre-conference workshop, six hours of your law and ethics irrational ethics. Are therapists (laughs) even allowed to be human? So I'm really excited about this workshop and hope that you'll come out and join us for it. So until next time, I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thrizer. They are passionate about making out of network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions.
0: Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.